allow me in this concluding encounter with you to express my great gratitude for the cordial hospitality that I have received, especially your delicious lunches. I will remember them long and will think gratefully of your culinary arts. And then your rector, he is such a warm and wonderful person. We've come to know him and ministers of the ministerial collegium here at this church, and we know you are richly blessed. But even more important than that is you, for without you, we would not have a church. You are his witnesses. The ministry is not given to a professional group of people, but to people who realize that they are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, in your sight, for you are our strength, and in you is to be discovered our redemption. This morning I want to talk to you, addressing myself to the topic, all he saw were pockets. The statement is found in the 13th chapter of John, uh, the words are these, and saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and declared, Verily, verily, I tell you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other in bewilderment, uncertain of who he was speaking. And you know the rest of the whole story when John is asked to ask him who it is, and he says, The one who dips in the cup with me is the one who will betray me. We cannot understand this complex, twisted motive in the mind of one of his disciples. What strange wills could have been rotating in his head, prompting him to betray the most tender heart ever to beat in a human bosom? What maliciousness dominated his soul and indeed pushed him over the edge into the traffic of heartless disregard for his gracious Savior and Lord teacher. What was it that caused Judas to do what he did? Isn't this the reason we try to act as if Judas never exist, existed? Isn't this the reason we shun him? Have you ever thought of this? No parent has named their son Judas since the beginning of time, because they always thought that was an unprofitable life and would leave a stigma on their child. His heinous crime became a hissing sound and an indictment against him in all of the surrounding community and in all succeeding generations. But we're still puzzled by Judas today. What was the driving force? that accelerated this almost unpardonable sin? What was the motive of Judas Iscariot? Why was he doing what he was really doing? Well, there's some positive things we can say about Judas. He was a man who knew finances. He was a man who really was not totally evil. He was a man who Jesus entrusted 
with the little money that the disciples had, and he carried the bag. He was one who was concerned about receipts and disbursements. He was one who was concerned about the stewardship of the mission. And he wanted his Lord to really exhibit his messianic powers and to save Israel from the colonizing power of Rome. But you see, there are other things that we know about him. Not only was he motivated politically and religiously, but you see, all Judas could see were pockets. Now, the Sufi mystics in the Hindu tradition have leaders who are famous for sharing profound stories. But the Sufis tell their stories and leave it to those who hear to do with them as they may. These were not preachments to be obeyed from which the hearer could not deviate. Well, one day, a famous religious Sufi was passing through a small town. It was known that he carried with him the key, the secret key, to understanding the meaning of life. The secret key to understanding the meaning of life. A certain pickpocket approached him looking for that key. He searched with his talented fingers. He found nothing. He turned away empty-handed and thoroughly disgusted, for all he saw were pockets. Could this be a clue for understanding the Judas that is in many of us now? Are we not searching for the secret to understanding the meaning of life? Furthermore, was Judas not searching for something tangible, or something he could possess and hold in his hands and claim as his own, maybe for something that he could put in his bank account. So Judas searched Jesus with his talented fingers and his political ambitions for three years, but found little or nothing that was useful to him. He turned away empty-handed, bitter, and withdrawing, because even though he knew Jesus had the key to the meaning of life, he didn't find it from him. And isn't it true that we're not far from Judas? Don't we all have to admit that often it is our pockets, our possessions, that are of utmost importance to us? We sometimes think of them as the key to the meaning of our lives also. After saying this, Jesus was troubled in heart and declared, very truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. Well, that's happened for a long time, hasn't it? As we look at our nation, we have seen betrayal in the last 10 years, even before that. As a nation, we recently faced an economic crisis, and much of our conversation has centered around our pockets the empty pockets of those devastated by massive layoffs in manufacturing and in white-collar jobs, health insurance canceled, emergency benefits no longer last long enough, mortgage foreclosures, public service of police and firemen greatly reduced, 
We live in a critical economic times. Yes, it is understandable. All we can see are pockets. Judas was possessed with selfish concern for his nation's vindication, security, and safety. But look at Bernard Madoff, $50 billion, swindled. All he could see were pockets, his own pockets being filled. A trustee at Yeshiva University in Jerusalem, the Orthodox Seminary for Jewish Rabbis, he was a big donor, but he was entrusted, as was Judas, with the pockets, with the investment portfolio. And he lost $110 million of the endowment funds given for Yeshiva University. Now, students at that university say that they are taught ethics and morals, but they are not encouraged to pursue professions that benefit the poor. That was the least of their concerns. They were led to believe that success is full when pockets are full. You want something new? Can you close your eyes and gain it? No, you can't. Well, as I think about this, our thoughts certainly turn to Martin Luther King. Well, he never thought of pockets. He lived on Somerset Avenue in modesty. His house was born, bombed in Birmingham. We know the rest of the story. But he never was bothered with imposing on himself a desire for conspicuous consumption. He was always concerned about people rather than pockets. Now, have you ever noticed that when we come to a corner, there may be a homeless person standing there who has a sign who says, I am hungry. It'll get you sometimes because I went to the church and heard a good sermon by my pastor and then left and filled my car with gas and there was a man digging in the garbage trying to find something to eat. Digging in the garbage trying to find a soda can that had a few licks, a few drops of, of liquid in it. But as he looked for things, he didn't even look over at me because he figured I was one of those church guys who probably went in and heard a wonderful sermon, but then as soon as I got out, as soon as I got to the gas station, forgot all about it. It so happened that we were so busy watching him that when he went into the store and the owner put him out, we did not notice where he went. He disappeared from our eyes. We did not see him, but the greater indictment was that as Christians, we did not try to find him. Have you ever stopped at a corner and had two corner quarters in your car and you saw somebody begging and all of a sudden the bowels of compassion gripped your guts and you gave them those two quarters? But have you ever noticed when we give our alms to the poor, we seldom look into their faces? we seldom look into their eyes because we figure all they want is a little money. And if they are given money, they will quickly leave. This is an indictment not only of Judas, but an indictment of all of us. Yes, Judas committed a crime so unparalleled in wickedness,
that men practically make little attempt to compare it with sins of their own. It is the worst thing he could do to betray the Son of God with something he could put into his pockets. Well, let's go a little deeper into the life of Judas. Why did this good man with mixed motives go off the deep end? What drove him over the edge? It was Palm Sunday. That's what did it. That destroyed Judas. That pushed him beyond reason. Well, you see, Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem in triumph on Palm Sunday. He looked solitary and sad, but the people were cheering. And he seemed indisposed to make use of his popularity, to line his pockets with material gain. He seemed indisposed to make some big money. This was his biggest day, a marketing opportunity. He had said foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is your chance, Jesus. Judas was shouting to him, take up the collection right now. Get them while they are at emotional pitch and we'll have enough money to put in the bag to keep the movement going. But Jesus didn't capitalize on this golden opportunity. And when he didn't capitalize, it was the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. He was utterly disgusted with Jesus and he was through with him now and forever. Now, some have alleged that Judas was tired of Jesus missing opportunities for aggrandizement, self-aggrandizement and wealth, for prosperity and material riches. So he thought he would bring the matter to a boiling point. He would give Jesus over to the religious leaders of the day and it would cause our Lord to use his power in self-protection. And when he used his power in self-protection, he would call in probably legions of angels to try to fight the battles against the tyranny of Rome. And he would free his people. That's what they wanted the Messiah to do. They wished for a military solution, not a diplomatic solution, but a military solution for all of the years of colonization that they had known. But Jesus didn't seem to want to go this way. And Judas was frustrated because I, he said, I took the money to force him into a crisis where for the sake of self-preservation, he would look out for himself. Now, all of us know that we look out for number one, first and foremost in this world. But it's more than that. Why in the world did he do what he did? I believe Jesus, Judas only wanted to follow Jesus, not only to get his money, but to rid himself of another flaw he had. And that was the flaw of covetousness. When you go to the Ten Commandments, you see as the last one, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He did not want to do what God called him to do. Jesus knew that Judas wanted to be with him so that he could fight his weaker nature of covetousness. We are all devil-minded, and our minds often contradict our values. 
Judas was a covetous man. And he succeeded, and he needed to succeed in ridding himself of covetousness. His greed, his grabbing, whatever was free, he wanted. Very often I tell my wife, why did you buy that? She said, I had a coupon for it. And it was discounted. I said, you know, lowered, discounted. I said, we don't need that. We've got enough of it in the closet and in the pantry. There are only two of us. We can't eat all that. She said, but it was cheaper. So I got it. I wanted to grab something that I could hold and keep. Now, Judas was a pretty good treasurer. He had a keen sense of right and wrong. He possessed an active conscience. This was the reason he hangs himself. Judas became tired and disillusioned with Jesus because he didn't take advantage of opportunities that were presented to him. Of course, Judas would hold the Palm Sunday offering in his common treasury and in his bag and in his purse, and he might siphon off a bit for himself. He wanted that money, he said, for the movement and for himself. After all, he deserved it. How would Jesus get along without a competent treasurer, an accountant? But now let's shift, shift the gears. Judas was one who had seen exceptional wickedness. Don't miss this. Because you see, he was one who allowed himself at that last supper to be possessed by Satan. The book says, and after he, Judas, received a piece of bread, Satan entered into him. After Judas received the gift of God from Jesus himself, Satan contradicts that gift and enters into him. Exceptional wickedness was surrounded by most blessed goodness. Satan and the Savior in one man. Listen to the narrow voice of Jesus as he quotes Psalm 56, 12. It was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I would have borne it. But it was thou, O man, equal with me, my guide and my acquaintance. It was the treachery that made our Lord's betrayal so unbearable. It was the wickedness of Satan choosing to use Judas. Now, Flip Wilson used to talk about the devil made me do it. No, that's not true. I chose to entertain the devil and to take the citadel of my soul away from God. When we do wrong, it is not because there is any force that makes us do wrong. It is because we choose to let the devil take over and to back off and not do what God wants us to do. He was called on to attach himself, but he needed to really be forgiven. And do you know, as I bring this to a conclusion, the thing that is so amazing after all of this betrayal went on, when Jesus went to the garden that night, I am told that the signal was a kiss. And, and when Jesus saw Judas, knowing what he was going to do, he said, friend, why are you here? How could you call somebody a friend who was arranging your assassination? How could you call somebody a friend 
who robbed you of the gifts you gave them, the best that you are. How can you call a person a friend like that? The only way Jesus could call him that was because Jesus planned to forgive him. What's the first word from the cross? Father, forgive them. Forgive all of the Judases throughout the ages. Father, forgive me, for sometimes I have reached out where I did not need to reach out with tricky fingers to pickpocket the soul of others. Have mercy on me. At one time, a little girl and her brother went to their grandmother's house in the summer. They were city peoples, and when they got there, they played and had a lot of fun. But Grandma had a duck, a D-U-C-K. It was her pet duck. And every day, the boy would go outside with his sister. She was older. He was younger. And he would take a slingshot and see if he could hit anything, but he could never hit his target. Finally, when Grandma called him in to lunch one day, he saw her duck, and he took a chance. He said, I miss everything else. I will miss the duck. You know what happened. The stone hit the duck, killed the duck, and the boy knew he was in grievous trouble. He wondered how he would get away with it. He took the duck and buried it under the woodpile. And he said, now I'm free. But you see, he did not know that his sister was just standing about 15 yards away. And she saw the whole thing. And she said, you kill grandma's duck. They went into lunch that day, and as they were eating and they got through, Grandma said to the girl, come now and help me wash the dishes. The girl said, no, Grandma, I think Billy wants to wash the dishes today. And Billy looked at her. Where in the world did she get that notion? You know, all she did was say, remember the duck. Remember the duck. And he had to jump up and do what she would have normally done. And they kept this up day after day. And he became more vexed because she knew something about him that she would not let go of. And any time she wanted to get anything done by him and he refused, she would say, I saw you. Remember the duck. Remember I, what I could do to you if I was a whistleblower if I claim clean on you. Finally, he could take it no more, and he went to his grandmother, and he said, Grandma, I could tell you what I did. Your duck was out there one day, and I, I hit him quite by accident, and I killed him, and I buried him, and my sister saw it. And every time she gets a job to do and doesn't feel like doing it, she turns to me and says, I will do it. And I have to be reminded by her of the fact that there was she out there. She was out there. She saw me kill the duck. At that point, the grandma 
hugged the boy. She said, Grandson, I saw you when you killed my duck. Because you see, I was in the upstairs bedroom window looking down on you and your sister. And I wondered how long it would take for you to come to me and say, Grandma, I did wrong. Please forgive me. She said, I've been ready to forgive you since you did it. And she threw her arms around him. When Judas messes up, when we make a mess of life, there's a heavenly father through Jesus Christ who wants to embrace us and who says, in spite of what we are, Father, forgive them, for they just don't know what they're doing.